From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on a Wednesday, big Wednesday show. Justin Watkins, former Nevada Assemblyman, is in a little later on as we'll get into the uh, A's. Sits a little more, more on Henry Ruggs. We have a little advancement in that story. Adam Hill is here as the company. We're in the Finley Toyota Studios. Ari along as well. So the Nevada Independent did a real good story and update on the A's, and we're going to talk about what Steve Yeager said. Day-to-day, I go round and round on this. Like, how much I want to cover it. Because in some ways, Adam, I feel like it's already done. What's the point about crowing over the whole thing? Let's just embrace what's going on. But, like, deep down, I know there are issues here. And we've all said, yeah, Major League Baseball will be cool here. I love that site, but this deal is weird. And are the A's trustworthy for them? Is it about baseball or is it about a real estate project? And if it's just about a real estate project, then, I don't know, we got to go round and round on this tax-free thing. But here's the thing. This is the position we're caught in. Because now Oakland is really pissed off, and they should be, because they they have not been treated the right way, and the negotiations have not been in good faith. And what's happening now is we got some folks who watch baseball in New York who do shows who are now kind of pitting us against Oakland and then Oakland is starting to like rain down on like I can't believe they're going to leave for that market and you know and it, it's like they're kind of right but then part of me is like I want to defend Vegas but not like I don't want to be involved like I actually want to I really want to say in this whole thing you're right Oakland we suck you're right you know New York sitting in your studio radio guy you're right we suck we suck but I know we don't suck so I want to defend us but like to get the results we really want it's almost like we have to go along with getting bashed. Yeah, stay in Oakland. Yeah. Stay. We have to stay. join the chorus of people ranting against this. It's hard, right? It's hard to hold back and not like and not defend the upside of Vegas because we love this city. But I also I don't want to be in this fight, especially for these guys. Well, it, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't be that hard right now to be against the deal. And I, I say that because th- they're not being secret about this. If this happens. It's our fault, and I mean our fault as you know our local government, our everyone around here. Like they've said the plan, we know what happened with the Raiders deal. It wasn't about the money; it was all the other details, and it got forced through, and nobody read it, and we we got burned on it. Now, you know, Dave Cable comes comes on with Dave Cable comes on with us and says, "Look, the reason that we dropped Oakland and we're on a single track now is because we need to force this thing through." He said that out loud to us. Time's running out; we got to force this thing through. And, and now we have the story today of, you know, someone we know, Steve Yeager, saying, like, look, wh- where is this deal? It's It's got to be out there if we're going to get this through. No, that's the point. The point is not to let anybody see it until it's jammed through. That's the crazy thing is the powers that be in the state are like, we haven't seen anything yet, right. and the, the clock is ticking. So we're, we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. But this this weird position of being – you're wanting to defend Vegas, but you're actually like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> We, we're not ready. You're right. We don't have the money. We don't have the tourists. You're right. This is a terrible deal. We're not ready. We're not ready. Hmm. Lying through my teeth. This is, we're ready. We just don't want this. But this isn't the optimal result. All right. I'm watching some video yesterday from uh, Sapienza over at Fox 5. 
and I see Mark Stone skating around. I'm like, okay, looks a bit ginger. What's going on here? And then we hear uh, Butchie say today, Bruce Cassidy, that Stone will play tonight. Wait, what, was that a question? Oh, yeah. Uh, McNabb and Shea Theodore are in tonight as well. Okay, well, I mean, this kind of changes the whole, why are the Oilers favored? Well, if you got a guy who's off injured and missed about half the season, and then, I mean, two really important players in Shea Theodore and McNabb who are still dinged up. I mean, if this is kind of a game-to-game thing in the series, for me that changes the outlook of the series, doesn't it? Well, yeah, and I don't, you know, if you're questioning why, look back at how teams have been since January. The Oilers are the best team in the league except for the Bruins. The Bruins are out, but the Oilers are the best team in the league since January and the best team in the conference since January. And they've got all this talent and all this firepower, and they were my pick to make the Stanley Cup final. So, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I, You know, I thought it was a little bit too big of a number. I thought it probably should have been around 130, you know, 120, maybe even closer to pick them. But um, that's with the home ice for Vegas in the series. But we know that, you know, injuries have been a question all year long. They've battled through them. they figured it out. Uh, Mark Stone, I, I, I would say – if you didn't think he was going to be game to game throughout the entire playoffs, I guess you just haven't been paying attention in the last two years. So people should have been prepared for that. Like you're you're getting what you can out of Mark Stone. That that's where he is at this point with the back injury and and trying to come back from surgery and the fact that he battled back and fought uh, to get back out of the ice and to contribute in the way that he did was absolutely incredible. But um, everything is a bonus at this point uh, from Mark Stone. So when you see him. The way that he looked yesterday and leaving practice early, and I know that there was a lot of concern, and he's going to give it a go. But, like, don't be shocked if he can't make it all the way through the game, and don't be shocked if he can't play the next game. And, like, th- that's, that's how it's going to be. It's a, back injuries are really brutal, and he just had surgery. All right, next one in this whole deal. So we start off the show yesterday, and I'm like, all right, let's go. Game's Wednesday and Friday. Willie's like, whoa, whoa. Got an email at 140 for the show. Game two has moved. Okay. Now it's on Saturday and it's TBD, right? We still don't know the time. Four we have, o'clock, I we think. Have the, okay, four o'clock. All right. Now I remember listening back to uh, Gar Bettman when he went on ESPN's morning show with Keyshawn and Jay Williams. And he kind of fought back on I, I remember telling everyone, if you were listening that day, I'm like, man, this has kind of like a New York – Northeast corridor feel to this interview because they were like really pressing him on, hey, what happens if the Bruins don't make it to the final? And isn't this Rangers Devils series a really big deal? And Bettman's like, listen, I'll just tell you the way you guys have programmed this at ESPN, we're very happy that you have now spread the wealth and that you're showing superstars in all markets, especially Canadian markets. You know, Connor McDavid. Dreisaitl are on a lot now. That wasn't always the case in the past. So now I'm thinking back to that conversation two weeks later, and wait, we got a long delay before the start of the series. Then we got an extra day of rest after game one. Okay. What's going on here, Gare? Did you kind of spill the beans in that national interview? What are the Knights up against here? What's with this delay on the, on the schedule? Let's go, game two, come on! Saturday. I think we we just got through explaining why it's probably a good thing for the Knights <laughs> that they have an extra day off, so I don't necessarily buy into the conspiracy theory. It's, look, they want Vegas on TV and they want Connor McDavid on TV. Like, there's no question of what's going on here. This is an absolute 
hey, this is the series we want on television nationally. These are teams we want to feature. Um, please let's make this a primetime affair on Saturday night, which, by the way, now cannot be late either because it'll be Warriors and Lakers on Saturday night, so they have to make it earlier uh, to, I think, attract the audience. But, yeah, this is let's – get, let's get it on television. And this is – I mean, I, I would say a godsend for Vegas – I mean, nothing short of that. This is a team that needs rest, that needs their players to be a little bit healthier. So I think it's a good thing. Um, and as far as Edmonton goes, I mean, their fans are furious, and I'm sure, with, you know, and with good reason. You also sent over a note that they're not happy about. What does that mean? You said uh, schedule change for game two means this will be their only game in a nine-game stretch. Who's complaining? Well, the, the Edmonton is complaining more, but Vegas is complaining to the point of, like, hey, let's – like we want to get we want to get these games in, but I think after yesterday, they were like, "Oh, wait, <laughs> we can get some rest for these guys. This is good." They weren't happy. They were fighting back on it. They wanted the game on Friday night for a lot of logistical reasons. Everything was already done. And look, it's not we're not. This is not about us. But think about all the little things, right? I mean, all the everybody's scheduled to work. They've got all the work schedules done for all the employees at the arena. They've got all the work schedules done for all the, you know, all the, the every that. But it's a parking attendant. Everybody that you know has you know puts uh, contributes to putting on the show out at at uh, out at the uh, uh, the park outside. They have look for in our perspective, we all have flights booked to Edmonton on Saturday. Like it <laughs> sucks. Yeah, you got screwed. It sucks. I mean, it it sucks for everyone, but yeah. it sucks for all those logistical reasons. It sucks for the Golden Knights as an organization, as a team. I think it's a good thing. Um, and for the Edmonton fans, I mean, that sucks. So how many of them are flying in? Thousands are flying in. And probably good for the Knights, too, that they're going to have to leave and not you know, not be able to be there for the game on Saturday, most likely. So that's probably good. But I think there's good and bad for both sides. But I think from the Knights organization perspective, to have that change, it sucks. Vegas flu. That's my positive angle. Aside from mending up injured guys. Vegas flu. They get to spend a Friday night here in Las Vegas. On the way back, let's talk about the uh, – the game last night, that was incredible. I mean, I think there's probably a lot of Lakers fans who are like, I cannot believe we just freaking blew this game. But when it counted the most, uh, you got a couple of bonehead plays from GSW, and the Lakers played really good defense down the stretch. When they needed to, at the absolute moment they needed to, they got it. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. or at ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Cofield and company back here. Adam Hill knows I, uh, I nerd out on this stuff. Last time we had John Taffer on, I was like Chris Farley on SNL. Where sure. I, just, I kept repeating, like, do you remember the time you yelled at a guy? Remember the time <laughs> you threw something on the floor? So John Taffer's in studio with Steve, with Adam. Glad you're here. I saw that you were doing appearances with uh, your new bourbon, so we're yeah. going to get into the uh, brown butter bourbon, Taffer's brown butter bourbon. You're a local now, so this is, not, this is not a tough trip to come over to Lotus Broadcast. Oh, no, I love here. doing radio where I get to drive home from yeah. here. <laughs> Why did you pick Vegas to uh, settle? Well, you know, I, I used to run the nightclub and bar convention, which is a major convention that's here every year. And, and I had a lot of friends that own bars and stuff here. So I was living in Florida uh, 14 years ago. When I did my show, I thought I'd do a pilot and go home. I never thought I'd be doing <laughs> really? it 12 years later. So uh, I had to move to the West Coast. So I had a choice of moving to L.A. or Vegas, and that was a no-brainer. I moved to Vegas. How- so I've been here about 10 years now. I love it here. So how, how quickly did you know? Like when you, you said you didn't know what you were going to do. How quickly did you know, oh, this is something? What, the show was going to yeah, work? Yeah, I still never thought, even at the end of season one, I wasn't sure there was going to be a season two or a season three or a season four. That's the television business. You know, they don't contract you multi-years. It's not like radio that you can get a three-year deal or a five-year deal. You get a one-year deal. 
<laughs> and at the last second, they tell you if you get another year, if you get another year. So uh, I never thought it would last this long. Now 12 seasons. This is the first time I've ever signed a multi-year deal, hmm. which, which I signed this year for the first time ever. You came so, up with the concept? Came up with the concept. Originally, yeah, I was do, doing a speech in Caesar's Palace at a nightclub convention. And after the speech, somebody came up to me and said, hey, man, you should be on television. Yeah. So I, I wrote something up called On the Rocks originally, and I had done work for Paramount in their restaurants, Bubba Gump, and I went to Paramount, showed it to them. They told me I would never be on television. <laughs> Forget it. Yep. And I uh, went out, did a sizzle reel by myself, sent it to four production companies, got four offers. Wow. And less than a year later, the show premiered, and you talk about full circle. What network am I in? Paramount, the company yeah. that told me I'd never be on TV. So you never know, particularly in entertainment, guys. You never know. Why do you think it works? I think it works because it's authentic. Uh, I'm crazy about it being honest. Mm -hmm. You know, when I started the show, I already had made my money. So I, didn't, I wasn't money motivated. My deal with the network was it had to be absolutely real, and it is. So there's no scripts. There's no actors. There's no setups. There's nothing in advance. It's all real. I've never been there before. I've never met these people before. So I think the trick to reality TV is to have the audience learn things when you do. You can't be ahead of the audience. You also, I know many people that are in the reality TV business, and it astonishes me. They think their fans are stupid. <laughs> I don't. I think yeah. my fans are brilliant. Yeah. I don't even try to fool them. I'm not going to try yeah. to fool them. So I think authenticity is the word, guys. If you keep it real, people know it. Why do you think it works with bars? And, and really restaurants, because there's yeah. obviously a lot of food elements in your yeah, show. I think everybody almost in America at some point said to themselves, I'd like to open a bar. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We've yeah. all been to them. We all relate to them. And everybody says, oh, bars. Boy, I mean, the, the booze cost you a buck. You sell it for eight bucks. How can you not make money? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody has this attitude yeah. about bars, and, they, and yeah. they go into it, and they realize it's not so easy. I think that's one of the the things about the show is that it showed people those people that sit there and we've all as you said we've all done it we sat there I sat at a bar last night and I was like they they if they did this and this it'd be great but to to the show it shows look there's a lot more that goes into it than just you know putting out a sign and saying here's how much beer is yeah and look we live in the greatest city in the world when it comes to bars and nightclubs and hospitality so you know living here we know what it's like when it's done right. Because we see it all yeah. the time. Uh, many markets, many cities don't have the level of quality that we have here. So all of them are sort of substandard yeah. from a Vegas standpoint. John Taffer's on ESPN Las Vegas, uh, brown butter bourbon. I want to talk about the bourbon here in a second. I always learn from the show, and I think I hope people when they watch, they learn. Because I'm not a drinker for, you know, for a, from a hard liquor standpoint. I'm going to try the bourbon. I can drink it, but... This is going to sound really stupid. I didn't realize like how many bartenders just make bad drinks, and they think yeah. that good drinks are the overpour. Yeah, and then not. you get into the overpour, but also like <laughs> the owner has no idea of the overpour, and then you show him. I, what is it, Bevintel? I can't remember all the terms, yeah. right? Yeah. You show him the numbers, and you're like, you're losing this much every night. Like, do you know what's going on? Yeah, we know there's three elements to a cocktail: alcohol, sweet, and sour. If there's too much alcohol, you don't have another one. If it's too sweet, you don't have another one. If it's too sour, you don't have another one. So a great cocktail has a balance to it, yeah. right? It's not too much of any of those three things. Those are the ones that go down and smooth, and you order a second one. When they start going too much this, too much that, and they, they destroy that balance. Right. And you're right, a cocktail sucks. Yeah, everything doesn't <laughs> need to be a long on iced tea. You know, yeah. I mean, we get the point. There's 50 you know, liquors yeah. in that, but that's not what you want. No. Now, I'm going to ask Adam a question in front of John because John oh works with the bartenders Adam will not return anything. He will not complain about anything, and he thinks that that's cool. Why do you do that? They're, they have a lot of work to do. They're very they're stressed out. People treat them badly. 
I don't need to add to that. What do you I'll, think of that? Whatever happens, the I, I take it. Well, you know what's interesting is uh, I believe that Adam's about 80% of America. Really? Because when they poll people and they say, if you have a bad experience at a restaurant, will you tell them? Eight out of ten people say no. If your food isn't cooked right, eight out of, eight out of ten people won't return it, Adam. And I'm, by the way, I'm like you, especially because I'm famous now. I'm not going to go in and raise a scene in a restaurant. I'm not going to bum out the employees or the owners. <laughs> you're not going, I don't you're not going do that. full bar so rescue if, John Taffer in front of yeah, No, I won't. If, if, if it's a bad experience, I'm just not going to come back. And that's what people yeah. say. So they say, I'm just not going to come back. So you're actually in the majority. And honestly, I like that. I like that most people's attitude is I'd rather be nice about it than not. I, I, I am nice about it most of the time, but I don't feel shamed if I don't like the food. And I've asked for something new or yeah. like I, I he's been calling me old lately and I am old, but he's been, that I'm, you know, curmudgeon griping all the time because I think coming out of COVID, like things have changed a little bit. And I feel like the customer sometimes is getting kind of a raw deal. Like we're just, I hey, don't, a, a, I don't disagree with you. Less, uh, you know, less efficient service. Eh, food's probably not going to be as good, but it's going to it's going to price. It's going to cost more. You know, and now we've just been guilted into accepting it. I, I think you're right in many ways. You know, prices are higher. Service is less. Right, so we're paying more for less of our experience. From the restaurant operator standpoint, I don't have as many employees as I need, so I'm struggling to get things out. I'm struggling. I'm, uh, my costs are ridiculously. So nobody's it's winning hard. in this no, situation. Everybody's losing. But yeah. you're right. And we know for, bar owners and restaurant owners, and it's hard. I, it's I hard. see what they go through. But from your standpoint, I get what you're saying. I'm paying yeah. more and getting less. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the bourbon. First of all, it seems like bourbon in general is exploding. It is. So let, let's talk about kind of the history of bourbon and why it works and why it's taken off. Yeah. So bourbon, by definition, is is a whiskey which means it's aged and by definition it has to have at least 51 percent corn in it so that's what defines bourbon is it's always a majority of corn now you could have 70 percent corn 80 percent 90 percent corn but it must be a majority of corn so i was in my restaurant in atlanta georgia and every after 240 episodes of bar rescue guys i got to come up with new cocktails all the time (laughs) so i'm playing around with some brown butter so I have a frying pan of brown butter, a plastic bag for cooking in. I pour whiskey into the bag, pour the brown butter, put it in a pot, and I let it sit at about 150 degrees for four hours. I then take the bag with the booze and the butter. I put it in the refrigerator. It coagulates on top. I skim it off the top, and then I have my brown butter whiskey. I put it in a cocktail called the Campfire. We start selling 1,000 a month of them. People are going nuts over this. So I said, I'm going to make it for real. So based on that experience, a two-and-a-half-year process to get the formula exactly right, the flavoring exactly right, and we introduce it here in Las Vegas and in Boston right now. You just tasted it. Yeah. What did you think? It was good. It's smooth. I always wonder with bourbon, is it is it a sipping uh, alcohol that should be by itself? Is it better with mixers? Because, I mean, obviously bourbon and ginger is very big. Mm-hmm. So what's the goal of, especially bourbon now, that it's becoming yeah. bigger and bigger? Well, flavored bourbons are also becoming very popular, yeah. right? Vanilla bourbons, maple bourbons, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, a bourbon old-fashioned is extremely popular today, but a bourbon sour that has lemon juice and yeah. sugar and everything is, so bourbon has really become a very versatile product now. Interestingly, in, in, the, in the 1880s, Congress passed a legislative act that made bourbon the official spirit of America. Really? And, and the people don't know this. The first distiller in America was George Washington, huh. who distilled whiskey in Mount Vernon. The first vintner in America was Jefferson, who grew huh. grapes. 
And and the second public building ever in America was a bar. First was a church. There you go. So, <laughs> these, guys, so these whiskeys go back to, to yeah. the earliest days of American history and great tradition and such. So there's Kentucky bourbon that has to be made in Kentucky. There's Tennessee bourbon that has okay. to be made in Tennessee. And, and then there's bourbons that are also produced around the country. John Taffer's with us here on ESPN Las Vegas. Are there... There's got to be bourbon snobs, like there are whiskey snobs. And, and, and you just mentioned some of the centers of this country when it comes yeah. to bourbon. So how hard is it to kind of break out of that mold? Like, hey, it's not going to be from Kentucky or Tennessee, yeah. but it's still good. Well, some of the, the you know the real whiskey people, the nutcases, the the, the, the real, <laughs> they they turn their nose up at all flavored products. Sure, right? right. You know, I want to taste the whiskey. So when we put this product together, first of all, it's 80 proof. Most of the other flavored products are 70 proof. So that was really important from a mixologist standpoint. The next element is when you taste it, the first thing you tasted was the whiskey. Mm-hmm. The last thing you tasted was the whiskey. Yep. And then it lingers, you get the notes of vanilla and toffee in it. So we wanted it to be a whiskey-forward product that whiskey lovers would like. So getting that formula right, making sure it wasn't too sweet, making sure that the whiskey uh, uh, was present, was was the trick of getting the formula right. Adam, take a sniff. Oh, I did. I, I, I what did you think of the nose? Sense. It's very good. And you, you mentioned, you said toffee. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I definitely got Smell that it. sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. little toffee, a little vanilla. You going to chug it or are you just going to sip it? I'll sip Another it. way you drink. That's the third sip. Okay. Oh, about? I didn't say it. I didn't yeah, see it. John Taffer's with us. We like to bicker a lot. Uh, ESPN Las Vegas here on John Coke. doesn't. He's usually you know, no, no, no. Very he's like, I don't know what this conflict oh, is. Yeah. Not me. I don't yeah, scream. Right. <laughs> it's Taffer's brown buttered bourbon. Uh, it's going to be available. You said Boston and here. And Boston then, here, and, and it's available start... in Liquor World. Okay, uh, 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 and uh, uh, other retail stores in the area. Okay, you mentioned you go to restaurants and bars, right? Yep. You're not going full Taffer like the show. You're polite. You're not going to complain, right? So, and you're a celebrity, so there's some pressure on you when you come up with a liquor. There's some pressure on you. Sure there is. Like, this can't suck. Yeah. So, how, like, how much did you think of that? Like, we we got to well, freaking nail this. If my name's on it, we got to yeah. nail it. Well, first of all, I never wanted to put my name on it. Oh, really? So, so my partners and, my, and Mark did a market research, and they're the ones who came back and said, John, we want to put your name on it. I didn't want it to be a celebrity product. I wanted it to stand on its own. Right. So, so they came back and said, listen, we did focus groups. People that don't know who you are like the name Taffers. Sort of like a Jameson. Yeah, sure. And people who know who you are like the name. Nice. So they told me to put, but I, there's no imagery of me. It's not a celebrity. I'm not marketing it that way. <laughs> it's all about the whiskey. So, so, so I positioned it that way. But you bet, because my name is on it, yeah. it's a little scary. But I'm in a unique position because I got to try it in my restaurant for months before I made it. Nice. So in a way, I sort of test marketed it's it, market, which market most research. whiskey people don't get to do. Right. Who's the most successful celebrity who's come up with alcohol. There's a lot of them. And like we, you know, uh, Adam is very heavy in the UFC and I follow yeah. it. And Conor McGregor being, you yeah. know, part of the proper 12, that's a yep. that's a big deal. I know uh, what is 818, is it the Jenners or the yeah. Kardashians? Uh, we know Casamigos is very big. But like yeah. in the history, because there's been other So Casamigos went for about $2.1 billion. That's kind of successful. <laughs> that's pretty darn successful. Yeah, pretty but the, 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 the ultimate of them all is Ciroc and Diddy. Yeah. Ciroc is now valued at over $7 billion. Oh, my God. And he owns half of it with Diageo. But again, you know, Diddy was smart. He didn't name it after himself. Yeah. And in as much as he's an urban entertainer, it's not an urban product. He didn't position it that way either. So it's just a really good high-end vodka. So he did point is holding the record. But Toby Keith has his, and, and a bunch of people have their spirits out there now. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. Everybody's trying to make money. Bar Ryan Rescue. Reynolds just did Aviation Gin. Yeah. Got okay. four hundred million for well, he, that. He is quite the entrepreneur. He's unbelievable. Yeah, right. I mean, he's branching out in a lot of things. Very jealous. Very jealous. John Taffer's with us. Go Rex. Uh, uh, Bar Rescue. 
I want to talk about some of the bar rescues in town. Okay. Uh, what are you most proud of in town that you went in, you fixed it up, and it's doing pretty well? I guess Champagne's was a good one because it was so historic. It is good. Uh, uh, and, you know, the, the old mob guy that was sitting at the bar there and that whole history of that place. That was sort of fun. Uh, that, I, I love places like that, and I'll get into this in a second, but we're losing places like that. Yeah. So to save them and give them life, yeah. to me, is massive. You know, y- years before I lived here, whenever there was a show on TV with the history of Vegas, I always watched it. I always found the history of our city to be fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, we go back to the mob history, the creations of our city, the way the corporations came in, Howard Hughes. For example, Summerlin is Howard Hughes's mother's maiden name. Right, he owned it all. So when you look at the amazing history of Las Vegas, I'm with you. I hate to see those places disappear because we lose our history, yep. and we're left. Sure, the hotels are beautiful, but they're more manufactured. Yeah. They don't connect to our history. And people want to come here and see the local scene. They don't want to just see the strip, and that's why you know restaurants are doing well here. Yeah. So I'll give you a place that I think was crazy that you fixed up, and I know a little bit about it since. So you go down to uh, where the Hard Rock was, Virgin. We have a friend down there who owns Naked City Pizza, the office bar. So in that area, there's gypsies. So you go in and you fix gypsies, right? And they're they're like battling you the whole time. So we're down there all the time. Then all of a sudden we see shortly after, it's closed, then it's gone, then it's a parking lot, then now he built a whole new one. What is it it like to, I don't want to bash the guy, maybe he's an advertiser in the future, but but, but what is it like to deal with some of the owners who are like, Come on. It was fascinating to me, but you know, sometimes ego really gets in the way with people, and it's unfortunate. I built them a beautiful bar. The bar that I built them was was clearly better than the one that was there. (laughs) His staff was really excited about it. I loved his staff. You know, there were a number of guys that were wonderful on this team. I think because I built it and he didn't, he wouldn't open it. I think it's as simple as that. That's amazing. Because it doesn't make a lot of sense that he didn't. It's sitting there ready to go, beautiful. It's going to be on national television. (laughs) And a bar rescue air 18 times a year because of the marathons. So think about it. He's going to be on TV 18 times nationally. Yep. Who doesn't open that? So there's got to be some personal reasons because it's not a business reason. It defies logic. So can you give us a couple more minutes? Sure. Stick around because what I want to get into, a little more on Vegas, but I also I want to get into the just the, the theory of the whole bar rescue thing from a management standpoint because uh, I think it applies to a lot of businesses. You can change the way a business looks and suggest – different ways that it can operate. But if management and the people on the ground don't want to do it, like you basically have to fire the owner. Otherwise, it ain't going to change. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to lvsportsnetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. We're graced by the presence of John Taffer. Love talking to the guy because his show is awesome. And it's just like the whole discussion of management and how to motivate people and how to speak to them. Look at this. Put it on silent. That's that's a radio tip right there. Turn off your phone. Silence it. Um, So John Taffer's in studio with us. He's got Taffer's Brown Butter Bourbon. It's uh, available in Vegas. Try it. Uh, I am not a bourbon drinker. I don't dislike it, but that was pretty good. That was pretty good. It was pretty smooth. Smooth, It's really good, and uh, Adam was trying it as well. So we were talking during the break about likability of – the owners, the managers that are on your show when you go in to rescue a place. And, and I watch a lot of times and I'm like, man, John did a great job here. They all, all this, you know, they learned their lessons. They, they fired some people. The place is beautiful. It flows better. But then you're like, you know, unless the owner changes, they're going to take this palace. It still won't work. 
you know, I always say fixing bars is easy. Fixing people is tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, but if I don't fix them, I right. can build them the Taj Mahal and they'll screw it up. Yeah. So, so uh, it's a real challenge to do that. That's why it's so intense. Because I could just remodel the bar, train their staff and go home and not fight with anyone. But I got to change them and they don't like it. So what I do is I start attacking everything they did. They don't like it. But when I start challenging every decision that they make, not only do they hate me and get aggressive and push back, but at some point I start to crack through. At some point they start to doubt themselves that little bit. Hmm. When they doubt that little bit, there's a little crack in their head I can sort of walk in and start to change the way they think. For example, you know, I had one guy who drank too much. So I put pictures <laughs> of his kids in the bottom of the glasses. No. So when he picked up the glass, he's staring at a picture of his child. He didn't pick up the glass anymore. <laughs> so there's things that we needed to do to, to stun them into changing their behavior, yeah. if you will, or almost shock therapy to some degree. You embarrass a man in front of his wife, that's pretty powerful. You know, you challenge a person in those situations, that's pretty powerful. Imagine what he hears when he goes home that right? night. Right. So I'm setting up his wife to help me. Get right. Him right. <laughs> I, need, so I need some teamwork here. To it. You're right. But, but you know, it's an amazing thing because when it happens, I can see it. They walk differently. Their really? posture changes. They're holding themselves more upright. Their voice gets a little more confident. I see them reassessing decisions they've already made. It's remarkable when you see it happen around you. So when I leave, I know the ones that I've registered with, and I know the ones I haven't. Yeah. Do you think you can fix most businesses? I mean, if you don't have like a big expertise on it? Yeah, I can fix almost any bar. The challenge is can I fix any person? So, so in the end, any business is about the people. Yeah, absolutely it is, particularly bars, you know, because right. we're connective. Let's face it, guys. You know, look, ESPN can deliver any programming I want to me at home. I can put on my cable system, watch what I want. I can put any music on that I want at home. I don't need bars for TV or for music anymore. I can call my delivery services, get any food I want brought to my house. I can get any drinks made in my house. I don't need bars for drinks, for food, for video entertainment, mm. or for music. I need them for one thing human interaction, yep. that social connection. And think about how we all felt during the pandemic when we were separated from each other. That sucked. It did. So we missed each other, didn't we, we? John, we ran, my girlfriend and I, because we love going to bars, we ran back to bars and the restrictions, whether they were right or not. I mean, I think back to what we went through. We walked into a bar and there's a table four feet from the yeah. bar. I'm like, this is absurd. But we were just like, we just want to be around people. And you're right. That's, that's what it is. And I, I think Vegas from a bar standpoint is fascinating because we talked about champagnes closing or not closing, but, you know, places like that closing. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the slot halls. You know, we've got some big companies that are just buying out local bars and it kills me. My area, I've lost all my local bars and, you know, good for the, the slot places. Um, how do you how do you convince someone here that they can have a, a theme bar? They can entertain people, have good food or you know what? Screw it. It's all about the machines. Yeah. The problem is that, you know, in Las Vegas, if you can put 12 machines in and make another quarter of a million dollars a year, why wouldn't you? So the concept becomes, you know, who has the machines and who doesn't? And is there any concept that is better off without the machines in Las Vegas? <laughs> the other problem that I have, and I hear what you're saying, because I'm a purist also in that way. But the fact of the matter is 8 out of 10 customers that walk into a bar in Vegas expect those machines to be there. <laughs> So, you know, that's sort of the issue is it's expected of us. And every bar, you know, look, the slot machine company comes in and says, for free. I'll come, I'll install the machines, and I'll give you a piece of the action. Yeah. Free money. So also, length of stay. And so I agree with you. 
and I wish that there was some delineation between, you know, what bars or what neighborhoods would have gaming and bars and what neighborhoods wouldn't. Yeah. And uh, But I think it's now becoming the norm in Vegas, and I'm guessing 10 years from now there's not going to be any bars that don't have them. Brown butter bourbon. John Taffer's new bourbon. You got to check it out. You got to buy it. We got a bottle in here. We might finish the whole bottle. Uh, John is with us for a couple more minutes. Um, we were talking to you during the break about sports bars. So we're big on sports bars. And I think this is the greatest sports bar city in the country because even the places with machines know that people on the machines want to watch sports. So this place might have more bars per capita that buy the package, right? But then there's a little issues when you go in. You can't always get the games on. They're not always paying attention. But I'll tell you, going back to our story 15 minutes ago about being overly nice, I look at it like I'm not a, I'm not a player. I'm not here all week. Uh, if my game's not on, the sound's not on. I'm out of here. I don't know. I don't leave. I just oh. take it. Like, I, I've been joking. I'm a Jets fan. So they just got Aaron Rodgers. For the first time in like seven years, I can walk into the bars on Sunday morning and go, all right, my game's not number nine, so I can actually have it on the TV. I can go ask. Right. But, I, but I also understand the machines run things, so I don't, I'm not going to be overly demanding because I don't play. Right, right. So, well, the fact know, of the matter is this one thing about this town, it is all about the money. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. And you can do quite well in this town if you, if you target the money effectively. <laughs> so you're great at making money. So you tell us, how, how, what's the best way to make money on this property at Dean Martin 15 in Tropicana? That used to be the Wild Wild West. And the A's have entered into an agreement with Red Rock Resorts to buy about half of it. But they want a tax-free district. Just general thoughts. Have you, have you heard anything on this? Because it's interesting. Yeah. I think that's a you know, very, very valuable piece of property. And some sort of gigantic entertainment district could go there, casino, whatever, and we get yeah. the taxes from it. Uh, what do you think about baseball getting it and getting well, it on a discount? I, I don't think it should be a tax-free district. You know, I look at what happened in St. Louis just as an example. I'm, I'm lucky I get to travel around the country. They built a baseball village next to their stadium, which is almost like a city walk, if you will, or a downtown Disney type of an entertainment district filled with restaurants, bars. People come in from 120 miles away, and that destination does revenue 52 weeks a year, mm -hmm. not just during baseball season. So I'm not sure we should give away that tax base as a city. Also, I must tell you, as one who has a pretty good knowledge of the process of getting NFL teams in the cities and everything, you know, all these cities do impact studies. Oh, you know, we're going to do billions of dollars in revenue. You know, football games is seven, eight a year in the city. How are you going to generate billions of dollars? If you go to a football game, what do you do after the game? You drive out of the city. You don't stay and eat and drink. So a lot of these impact studies, blue sky Mm -hmm. the impacts of these teams in the marketplace. His job is to blue sky us so that he gets his tax-free zone. Yep. Our job is to discount his blue skying and yep. not give him the tax-free <laughs> zone. Right. So right now we're in that sort of jiggle yeah. together. There's a great movie I'd love you, that you've never heard of called The Ghosts of Flatbush. And it's on YouTube. It's a documentary of what happened when the Brooklyn Dodgers left Brooklyn mm -hmm. and moved to L.A. And it's a sociological study on what happened to the city. Think of Oakland for a second. They lost the Raiders. Now they're going to lose the A's. What happens to a city like that that loses these things that, you know, homogeneously connect us all? And those connections start to disappear. So in as much as I'm happy for us, because I'm guessing we're going to get the team in a pretty good deal, uh, you got to feel for Oakland. I'm guessing we're not their favorite city right now. Oh, no. We, I opened the show today, and they're bashing us. And I want to defend us, but I'm also not sure that I want the A's because of the way they run their baseball organization. So I'm like, you know, I'm trying to hold myself back. And, you know, yeah. It's like, oh, you're right. We do suck here. Well, there are better <laughs> organizations want... in baseball for sure. Yes. yes. If, the, if the Rays move, or we'll just take an expansion team like Bill Foley did with the Knights. And look what and we he, turned it into. And he's killing it because he cares. Yeah. You know, it's it's a uh, best sports franchise of the year two years ago. He's he's awesome. 
He's totally awesome. Uh, let's go back for a second here to everyone thinks they can own a bar or a restaurant. Athletes love to get into the bar and restaurant business. You talk to them. What do you tell them? What do you tell the guys now? Because there's there's a lot that did really well, but there's others. I mean, they find out they, they don't, don't know how to run the business. Right. Most don't. They don't know how to run the business. <laughs> you know, I say this as one who's worked with a lot of athletes. Athletes typically have handlers from the time they're in high school. They told them where to go, what to do, how to train, where to go. They get into professional sports, they have handlers, managers, people to tell them where to go, what to do, how to do it, where to go. What happens is they now retire from sports, they lose the handlers. <laughs> and now they put their money into businesses that they know nothing about. They've never not had the handlers before. So a lot of them make business decisions that they later regret. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and bars is a big one. Mm -hmm. I tell most of them. Open it in your basement, guys. You can still have the party. Yeah. You can still be a social guy, and you won't lose all the money. <laughs> well, I'll give you, uh, I'll give you one of the best guys who's in sports, not necessarily an athlete. Uh, we have him on every once in a while. We we talk about him as being one of our favorite guests. Dana White does have a gift for running things mm -hmm. because he's also a lunatic, and he like he runs it. Yeah, like he run, he does. Well, Dana's no handlers. Friend. He my, run, he my, runs everything. I've been in his offices. I've seen his white room where he does all the matches, and and he's unbelievable. Look what he's turned UFC into. I mean, it's remarkable what he's created, and, and it's all him. Well, he's, he got in the liquor business, too. Yeah. You know, I was drinking his, uh, his banana whiskey the other day a little bit. His office may also have the best restaurant in Vegas. Have you eaten in there? It's no. fantastic. Is it? It's like his own chefs. It's tremendous. I got to go in there. Yeah. Ask okay. him to come by. I mean, next, next meeting is going to be a lunch meeting. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'll give you the other guy, and you've probably talked to him. Shaq. Shaq, sure. His chicken thing is exploding. <laughs> a good friend of mine is running his company now. He's unbelievable. Everything he touches. And magic, too. Yep. You know, Shaq is just another magic. Magic sort of led to everything yeah. he touched. You know, Magic got the first Starbucks franchise when they didn't franchise. Yeah. But he talked them into doing it. Then he was the only person ever to put his, his brand on a Friday's. <laughs> magic Johnson's Friday's. So these guys are great innovators. And they take their celebrity, that asset, and they leverage it into some good, into good business models. But for every one of those, there's four or five athletes that sort of fell on their butt. That yeah. didn't have that business acumen, unfortunately. You uh, you like doing this? I know you do a podcast. I love doing this, guys. I talk to yeah. you guys all day. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. What's yeah. the best thing you've had on your podcast? In terms of someone you met, maybe you didn't. Well, Dana was great. Yeah. You know, we we went and did it in his office, which was really a lot of fun. And we toured through the office and, and we shot on video. Dana was great. Uh, um, did you have Negreanu on the poker player? Yeah, of course. I've had Daniel on yeah. as well. Uh, I've had Daniel on my show as well. Super He's smart fun. guy. He comes on and talks hockey with us, and yeah. so a lot of it's next level stuff. Yeah. So he told me one great thing about poker, which I'll share. You know, he says to me, you know, when you're playing poker, one thing is the critical thing. If we get our cards, if you look at your cards a second time before you bet, you got a shitty hand. Excuse my language. <laughs> if you don't look at that hand a second time and you just bet, then you have a great hand. That one thing has determined whether he stays in hands or not. Huh. And that one move, yeah. and it's interesting, that second look at your hand apparently is incredibly revealing. But Daniel's amazing. He's a great player. So you're saying if I have pocket aces and I'm playing in ground, we look twice. Yeah. He'll, he'll be thrown off. <laughs> yep. All right. Is that right? Now you know. Yeah, now you know the secret. I don't know. <laughs> I should have told uh, that. What the, what the fuck to do that? Let's go. <laughs> One more time before we let you go. Talk about Taffers. This is a tremendous, tremendous yeah, product. This is my baby. Yeah. Taffers Brown Butter Bourbon. I created it myself in a kitchen. Uh, uh, it was created with a culinary orientation. It's an amazing flavor. Really smooth. Great for mixing. Great for cooking. We do all sorts of cooking with it, even brown butter, bourbon, chicken, and waffles. Mm. Wow. Drizzled on some waffles. So we've had a lot of fun with it, and it's available all over the city. Well, thank you so much. Great to be here, guys. It was fun. 
Listen to Cofield and Company in the Press Box all week long for your chance to win tickets to Reggae in the Desert, Saturday, May 6th at the Clark County Government Amphitheater. For more info or to purchase tickets, go to reggaeinthedesert.com. All right, here we go. Cofield and Company, is, uh, we've got more on the Oakland A's and what's going on between Oakland and Las Vegas, and then uh, someone sticking in their big snout from New York trying to rip on Vegas. So we'll have that coming up. So we'll talk to a former... Nevada Assemblyman, and our legal insider, Justin Watkins, in about 10 minutes or so. Would you rather work for if uh, for a boss? Would you rather work for John Taffer or Steve Kerr? We just had John Taffer in studio for about a half an hour. Is he still here? You know he's one of my guys. Is he, is he listening outside? I mean, I'm obsessed with Steve Kerr, so uh, that'd be an easy choice, but Taffer I feel like would uh, would drive you in the right direction to be successful. You get my point, right? I mean, yes. clearly, Carr is a master motivator. They just they do it differently. Yeah, well, and, you know, I mean, look, it's uh, I think Taffer is your style, and Steve Kerr is more my style. Is the the way that it would break down. <laughs> I think that that's how it would play out. That's your style, but is that the kind of boss you need? Yes, I don't respond well to. No, have you had a yeller at the RJ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't work. It, what if they yell to a certain degree? What if, what if they yell at everybody? Because you know that's my whole thing. Yeah. When I when I watch Taffer and I watch Hard Knocks, I'm like, that's the way I want work to be. Because I because I because I I have confidence that I won't be getting yelled at all the time. And when I do, I can take it and be like, yeah, I suck. You're right. I need to be yelled at. But can everyone else take it? That's the problem. I'd I'd actually and I'll, it's I mean I guess it's a different thing. I, I know there are bosses that will just very softly do it, but a thousand times in a row, you're like, no. I'd rather have the yell and just get it over with. Um, I've talked about you know, and, and I, we've I've talked with this boss directly that I, like he will blow up, he will ta- he'll go taffer on you, and then you're cool. Like all right, we're we're good now. I'd rather I I guess I would rather have that than the do this do this do this do this do this do this like all right. <laughs> you know what? You're right. You're not a high intensity guy. I kind of forgot. I've now gotten in the habit a little more. If there's like a two hour delay. I think Ari sees it. If there's a two-hour delay in getting an answer back on a text, I'm like, okay, come on. Just need an answer. Just need an answer. That's, well, also, that's a little different, though, than, than a work assignment where I know how much work you guys have to put into writing a story and who you got to track down. Like, it doesn't happen overnight. And you know, it's almost like not returning a text is one thing. It is different. It's when you get questioned on the work you're doing, it's basically questioning your work ethic. And it's like, I've been here for this long. I'm probably on it. Chill. Right. I know you need it. Well, and I also don't like giving answers when I don't know yet. Right. And that, and that, like, I get you it. Know, I have people, and it's, it's, you know, obviously that's your what you're referencing with me. But I, I I'm at work too. Like, look, I'm not going to respond to you and say, hey, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Like, I'm going to find out, and then I'll respond to you. And it might be two days. It might be three days. Whatever. I'm going to find out before I say anything to you. Like, ah, I don't know. I'll, I'll let you know soon. What's the point of that? I get it. I'm still going to blow you up on text though. To get an answer. 364-1100, Let's do a giveaway right here. Uh, let's fire out some. Uh, oh, these are good. Reggae and the Desert tickets coming up on Saturday, 11 a.m. Doors open. Music, Caribbean food, plenty of drinks. Clark County Government Amphitheater. It's one of our cool events every single year. It's this Saturday. You can grab your tickets at reggaeandthedesert.com. But Ari's got a four-pack right now. 364-1100, 364-1100. 
caller number seven. All right, we get into the A's. We'll also get into the uh, latest with Henry Ruggs and more preview of VGK as they open the series against the Oilers.